want you to know that the elders had a wonderful retreat this weekend, uh, Thursday night, all day Friday, Saturday morning, and uh, it's such a sweet time and rare time for us to have fellowship with one another. And I think about all the years in the past that the elders have done this. It's always amazing. It's always sweet. The prayer time is great, the worship. And we also get to talk about issues of the church and make decisions and uh, cast vision, help one another see uh, and, and plan for what the Lord may have for us in the future. And that's what today's message is about. Before we start, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this occasion for us to think together about the elders' fallible, dependent plan, which we believe is consistent with the teachings of your word, the responsibility that your word lays upon the elders and the members of a local church and all Christians. Father, we pray that you would give us grace not only to talk about these things, but to do them. And may Jesus Christ be shown preeminent. May he, in our eyes and in the eyes of those who know us, see Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so use us, Father, and change us. And speak to us today by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The role of serving as preaching elder of Calvary Bible Church comes with a significant benefit. I not only get to preach the word week after week, but I also, once a year, get to stand here before the body and talk about vision for the future. Usually I do this in the beginning of September because that's the beginning of our ministry year. But on the years that we approach launching a new church, we just find it prudent to do it early, uh, to prepare us for what's coming and, and, frankly, what's coming soon. So today is what we have traditionally called Vision Sunday. My kids told me last night, we've got to come up with a better name than that. Um, but for now, we're casting vision, so it's Vision Sunday. This is the day that I get to tell you about what the elders believe is uh, God's direction for our church over the next year. Now, we understand that ours is a fallible, dependent plan. We attempt to be good strategic planners. We believe God is the ultimate strategic planner. And so we try to look ahead and, uh, and determine how we can take the Word of God and put it to work. How do we put the Word of God to work in this church and in this community and around the world? For those of you who are new, you may not know that we have a foundational statement, a purpose statement that's actually posted on the wall out here, and it is in your bulletin and serves as the outline of our sermon this morning. We have actually been uh, laying, relaying the foundation of this church again because there are so many new people at Calvary Bible Church, both here in this room, and if you're new, you may not know, there's a group about this size down the hall in Fellowship Hall who are watching and participating in this, same as you. And many of you are new, and we're so glad that you're here, and we hope you stay a really long time. We hope you get integrated into the church. We hope you become fruitful here 
in whatever ministry that God calls you to. And in order to help with that, we've been kind of recently focusing on foundational truth, some back-to-basics kind of truth. For example, uh, most recently, we, uh, I preached a seven-part series on the church. Not the first time we've done that, but we did it again because it's so important. And Calvary Bible Church was founded on a high view of God and a high view of God's Word and a high view of the local church. And now, 25 years after the founding of Calvary Bible Church, our foundational commitments remain unchanged. And I can tell you that in the years ahead, we will remain committed to these values because whenever we exalt God, his word, and his church, we actually fulfill an even higher mandate. And that is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as preeminent. In the coming years, therefore, you can expect more preaching and teaching that's designed to inspire within our souls a high view of God, a high view of his word, especially the gospel, and a high view of the local church. But now I I suspect most of you, by this time of your tenure here at Calvary Bible Church, you've heard us, maybe, recite our foundational purpose statement, where the elders about 10 years ago took these essential truths that we think, in a nutshell, if we collect them together, point us to what God wants us to do, big picture. And that's what I want to focus on again this morning. In fact, it's been a while. It's been, I look back in past sermons, it's been a long time since I just unpacked this phrase by phrase, verse by verse. And so if you'll indulge me this morning, that's what we're going to do. And let's begin this by quoting that purpose statement. What is the purpose of this church? And the answer to the question, you can recite it with me if you know it. If you don't know it, look in your bulletin. It's printed twice right there on the same page. And here we go. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things, to the glory of God, in the joy of all peoples. Now, there are no wasted words here. Every phrase is shaped and refined to communicate a rock-solid biblical mandate for Christ's church. And each is derived from Scripture. So let's look at this piece by piece. Number one, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And to see this, I'd like for you to turn back to the passage that Keith read just a little while ago, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm not going to cover everything that he read, and that's why I had him read it, is so that you could get the bigger context. The first phrase of our statement is extremely important for us because it clarifies what we are here for, what we're supposed to do, why we exist. Husbands, wives, Do you know what the ultimate goal of your marriage is? Dads and men, do you know what God has called you to in your workplace? Women, moms, and women who are working, surely, in your workplace as well, but moms who are at home, do you know what your primary responsibility is, what your primary calling is as you serve your family? 
Do you know what God wants you to do when you children, you teenagers, when you're sitting around playing games or when you are uh, ministering with some ministry here in the church or whether you're, whether you're just sitting at the table eating your Cheerios? Peter makes it clear right from the beginning of this text. And let me start with some context. In verses 1 through 6, 1 Peter 2, the apostle pictures for us a new temple of the Lord. Now, what is the temple of the Lord? Now, throughout the scriptures, there's different ways of seeing the temple of the Lord, but there were physical structures, uh, two of them, in fact, that were the temple of the Lord, plus the tabernacle. It was the dwelling place of God. It's where God lives, right? In the tabernacle, and then in the temple, first temple, second temple, the temple made by God himself, here in 1 Peter, however, is not a temple built of rock and stone drawn out of the earth. Rather, it is a temple made up of people. That's why when I was praying a little while ago, I confessed for all of us that this building is not the church. The people are. And the analogy Peter is using is we are the temple of the living God. God lives in us. This is the mystery, the great mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we as the temple now stand as kind of a, a, a clarion declaration, a clarion call to the world to come and bow as we have and find your everlasting joy in the God of this temple called the church. We are, as Peter says, living stones. We are built upon one another. And we collectively are built on the great cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. And look at verses 4 through 6 just to demonstrate uh, the, the foundation of what I just said. Verse 4, as you come to him as living stones, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You know what that means? If you're a Christian and you're living it and talking about it, you're going to suffer. But you are also the people who God has chosen, and you are precious to him. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. It's just another way of saying temple. To be a holy priesthood, that is, to represent God before men and to represent men before God. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, that would be Christ, will not be put to shame. Verses 7 and 8, then, he describes those who reject the cornerstone, and I'll let you read that for yourself. And then finally, in verse 9, he explains why God has chosen us to use us as choice stones in his spiritual temple. And so Peter writes in verse 9, in contrast to those who have rejected the cornerstone, verse 9 says, but you... You Christians, you church, 
You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, and here's the purpose statement, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when we say the purpose of Calvary Bible Church is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, that wasn't a creative idea by the elders of Calvary Bible Church. This comes right out of holy writ. This is what we're here for. This is why he made us. And by the way, Paul says the same thing in Colossians. In uh, the section that we've already covered in Colossians, where he says in Colossians 1, he, that is God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament temple of the Lord, its priesthood and sacrifices and everything related to it were established by God to set his glory on display, to invite the nations to come into fellowship, to be reconciled to God, to see and wonder at and to delight in his presence. Today, the temple no longer exists. God's people are now his temple. And wherever you go, God lives. He's among us. He is Emmanuel. God with us, God in us. And what a privilege it is and great responsibility to be given the responsibility of, and calling, of calling attention to the glory of God in the way that we live in the world. We who have found God's salvation in Christ alone now live as a kind of royal priesthood dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Christ our Savior. Beloved, this is why we're here. And this explains why we do what we do. This is why God put us on earth. We've not been placed here to moralize the culture. We are here to represent Christ and to, draw, and to call all men everywhere to repent and believe and to obey the gospel. We've not been placed here to accumulate earthly riches and comforts. We've not been put on earth so that we could make a name for ourselves Rather, he placed us here to proclaim to the world that Christ is excellent above and beyond all things. Or, as we're learning in our study of Colossians, that in all things Christ might be, what's the word? Preeminent. You want to know how to make a, an impact on the, the world, even if you're not a gifted evangelist? Simply resolve to view every circumstance as an opportunity to show people the glorious excellencies of Jesus in the way you respond to every circumstance. Whether that circumstance be bad, difficult, or whether it be wonderful, glorious. We do this every time we give God praise for a glorious sunrise. Or how about that storm the other night? The thunder just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And even Saturday morning, the, 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 the staff at, the, at Camp Hoblitzell was coming to us and saying, you guys got the, the, the tornado warning, right? <laughs> no, 
We didn't, thank you. <laughs> but the majesty and glory for God, it's, it's, it's not even a spark in his hair. For us, it was terrifying. Oh, the glory of God in creation. When we see it and savor it, not just a sunrise or a storm, but a forest, a, a river, the, the, the ocean. And when we look at something that God has made and we say, isn't God good? In the hearing of other people. When we explain a decision by saying, I've concluded that the Lord would have us do this because I think it is the thing that will be most pleasing to him. We declare that Christ is excellent. And when any child willingly and cheerfully obeys his parents, miracle, <clears throat> even though he doesn't really want to, but merely because he knows the Bible says he should and he wants to be pleasing to the Lord. When you thank your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, anytime you thank your brothers and sisters, I mean, that ranks right up there with the other miracle, it proclaims that Christ is excellent. When people see your family with you, you and your children, loving one another, serving one another, imperfectly as it may be, people notice. And they don't know what they're seeing exactly, but you know what it is? It's the glory of Christ in you. You, the temple of the Lord. And whenever we deny ourselves some pleasure in sin in a moment, when we're tempted, when we deny that impulse, and we proclaim to ourselves that Christ is excellent. When we ask forgiveness of someone after we've sinned, we declare the excellencies of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Second, notice the occasion for proclaiming his excellencies. We should do it when? Uh, at church? Uh, during family worship? Uh, in Sunday school, when we're feeling really good about life, yes, 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 yes. But more importantly, in all things, we proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things. And so you see, the attitudes of a Christian heart are supposed to be governed by the truth of God's written word. And one of the fundamental truths of Scripture is the reality that God is absolutely sovereign over everything. We believe if there is one maverick molecule in the universe, God is not sovereign. He controls it all. In Romans 8.28, Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So no matter what our circumstances, and by the way, in that context, Romans 8, we love those encouraging scriptures, but we forget what leads up to it where Paul says we are like sheep to be slaughtered every day. This was a persecuted church. People were dying in the church in Rome for being Christians. No matter our circumstances, 
no matter the news from the doctor, the outcome of the biopsy, no matter what happens on Wall Street or in your bank account, no matter how deep the disappointment or staggering the betrayal, we can respond in a way that declares Christ is excellent in all things. My mind, even saying that, just floods with stories. I, I look across this room and I, I have flashbacks of the stories of how you responded to tragedy, difficulty, disappointment, and loss. And you've done it faithfully. Praise God. That's, that should be our response. Praise God. That's the whole point. That we would, in that moment, give glory to God to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in those things, in all things. And if you're wondering if that's biblical, let me give you a few scriptures. First Thessalonians 5.18. The command is this. In, and the preposition here is important, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is for you? <laughs> give thanks, no matter the circumstance. Unbelievers in Romans 1 are uh, those who are under God's wrath are people who are, in part, characterized by thanklessness. How about Ephesians 5.20? We are told to always... Uh, let's see, he says... Uh, yeah, we are, to, we are told to always give thanks. And remember I said the preposition is important. It was in all things. Here it's for all things. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. You mean, you mean my cancer? Yes, thank God for that. God's, God can be glorified in that. Don't waste it. You lost your job? I mean, I mean, praise God for that. Give thanks for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, which are manifestations of unbelief, by the way, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do we live in a, in a crooked and perverse generation? The more crooked and perverse it gets, the, the more clearly your light will shine. Among whom, here's what he says, you appear as lights in the world. Why lights? Why call us lights in the world? Well, because our lives radiate the glory and excellencies of Jesus. It's like the Shekinah, the light saw at the burning bush, in the Holy of Holies, sitting on the Ark of the Covenant, but now it's Christ in you. We are like lights in the world. In 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do it as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so. This is about using your spiritual gifts. As one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in, listen carefully, in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and forever. Amen? So, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things. Now, 
what's the goal of that? What's the goal of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ in all things? What do we hope to accomplish by viewing every circumstance in life as a platform for proclaiming Christ's excellencies? Well, actually, the goal is twofold. And what's one goal and then fruit that comes out of that goal? First of all, the goal is to glorify God, as we've just said. But here's how, what the, how the statement reads. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God. To the glory of God. The Westminster Confession declares that the chief end of man or the chief goal of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Say it again. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's right. That's why we're here. It's just another way of saying what our statement says. But too often, God's people lose sight of our purpose. We think the chief end of man is to be happy within our circumstances. But God created us to live in the joy, in the joy of imaging forth the glory of Christ regardless of our circumstances. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.9 that he always made it his ambition, whether at home or absent, which means either whether I'm alive or dead, whether I'm on earth or in heaven, my ambition is to be pleasing to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So I wasn't kidding and I wasn't being flippant about children glorifying God while they're eating their Cheerios. This is serious business. Whether you eat or drink, eating and drinking, these are very mundane things. Did you eat breakfast this morning? Did you have your coffee to the glory of Christ this morning? Or did you refrain from having coffee? Maybe some, we need to do more glorying there. Um, I think we do, a, by, by the look of the carpet down there, we do a lot of coffee drinking and spilling, and I don't know what else. Uh, even mundane things matter to God. Every area of our lives matter to God. But then again, the big matters, there are big matters as well. In the really big picture of history, what we see is that on the last day, when God in Christ reconciles all things to himself, everyone will declare the excellencies of Christ. Everyone. Here's how Paul says it in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that God highly exalted him as if this has already happened and will happen. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every, every, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that, what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see how this all fits together? And that God-word focus is what God calls us to. 
Well, our purpose statement says we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God. We want to ensure that everything we do has a Godward focus. And when we fail to do what is consistent with a Godward focus, we repent of it, which is to refocus by confession and being forgiven again. That Godward focus propels us beyond our comfort zones. Now, this is where it starts getting closer to home. It pushes us well beyond our comfort zones in the world and into the world. If we will trust his word and his spirit, God is going to call us to do things that are uncomfortable. God is going to call you and probably has already called you to do things that you don't want to do. Will you do them anyway? Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and you do not do the things that I command you? Are you willing? I can give you this promise from the scriptures, well, summary promise, and it is this. I just try to remind myself of the promises of God in general when it comes to taking risks and do this little statement that I learned uh, right after I got saved up in New York. And that is, Jack Wurtson used to tell us, the safest and happiest place in all the world is in the middle of God's will. Whatever God wants you to do, do it. It's the happiest and safest place in the world. Whether that means just ministering to your family or whether it means packing up and moving to China or Uganda or Japan, as we'll hear about next week. Godward focus will drive us outward to other people. And so the goal of our proclaiming the excellencies of Christ is, is the glory of God, that God would be glorified in us. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And what's the next word? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as we pursue the ultimate goal, there will be fruit not only in our lives, but among the nations as well. Or as our statement reads, in the joy of all peoples, all peoples. And yes, there's an S on the end of that. A peoples seems unusual to you, children. Uh, it is a real word. <laughs> if you have one group of people, you will say they are a, a people. And if you have many groups of people, they are peoples. And this is a biblical term. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. So our own joy over what we have found in Jesus should, should feel incomplete to us until we express it, until we share it with others. We should not be satisfied in our own personal relationship with Jesus, unless we are actively inviting others to know the joy of forgiving grace that we have found in him. Again, the words here are chosen very carefully. In the joy of all peoples. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So his joy is passed to us 
we take it to the world. We take it to the nations. You see, salvation and joy are often connected in the scriptures. Coming into a reconciled state with God always produces abundant joy in the heart of the man or woman who exercises faith in Christ. But this joy is not just for a small group. It's not, it's not merely for the Jews. It was to the Jews first, but it's not merely for the Jews. It's not for uh, middle-class Western Gentiles exclusively. No. Uh, it, was, it was made clear on, uh, just before Christmas Day, well, on Christmas Day, Christmas night maybe, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, saying, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for who? For all the peoples. For today in the city of David has been born for you Jesus, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is our joy. He is our joy. This is the gospel, my friends. This is the good news. God has brought joy to sinners who deserve the gloom and terror of a just and holy wrath. And this joy is for all peoples. It's all who will believe and receive. It's for you today if you don't know Jesus. You can have it today. David said in Psalm 67, let the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with, un, with uprightness and guide the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Is that your heart? When you look around your neighborhood, do you think, I wish, I wish everyone knew the joy. I got to get busy. I got to get busy so they can know the joy that comes from knowing Christ. When you think about the nations, does your heart burn to go and help? The call of missions is to take the joy that we have found in Jesus Christ to all the peoples of the earth. This is our lifelong mission. It is our purpose and it is our great delight. The only question is whether or not we're willing to choose to live in joyful fulfillment of our calling or whether we will lean on our own understanding, which Proverbs says, do not do that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge or agree with him. And he will make your path straight. If you choose to go a different way, your path is going to be crooked and perplexing. This was Paul's commitment, by the way. Paul, who suffered so much, as you'll hear in two weeks. Philippians 1, 20 and 21, my eager expectation and hope is that Christ will be magnified. That's his way of saying it. That Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Because, here's the explanation, for me to live is Christ. And if I die, gain, I have nothing to lose. 
Beloved, security is a myth. You could step out the door today and die. And there will be about 100,000 people who experience that reality today. Um, but there's a greater reality. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. And if we really embrace that, if we believe that, then we will step out. And we will take risks. We take risks in our homes. We'll take risks in our neighborhoods. We'll take risks among the nations. So, here it is. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things, to the glory of God and the joy of all people. Say it with me again. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things, to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. So, let's talk about application. Ready for application? I have too many applications to fit in before the Lord's table this morning. Um, but I'll give you some of the, the key things the elders talked about this weekend. The elders of Calvary Bible Church, as we see it, God's great people, purpose for his people, should find expression in practical, strategic ways. This should not be merely propositional truth and inspirational thinking. It should be practical. Somewhere along the line, once you understand what God has called us to do, in general, we should use our sanctified imagination relative to how, how can we fulfill that. Within the biblic, all the biblical parameters, yes, but how do we fulfill that? How do we do it carefully? How do we do it strategically? Again, this is our fallible, dependent plan. God hasn't spoken out of heaven to give us this plan. Um, and we're working on more plans. At the end of our week of, weekend of planning, um, we concluded that we need more time to come back and come up with at least a three-year strategic plan, which we will work on doing. So every year we come up with what we call our fallible dependent plan for turning these propositional truths into action. And so here's a taste of our plan for 2020. We believe Calvary Bible Church should proclaim the excellencies of Christ by planting churches. And we believe God has called and uniquely equipped this church to plant churches in North Texas, especially around the Fort Worth area. It has been four years and eight months since our first church plants plant in Mansfield, Texas. By God's grace, Living Hope Bible Church will surpass the five-year mark on June 14th, <clears throat> in this very year. June 14th. On June 21st of this year, the very next week, Christ Fellowship Bible Church intends if God permitting, to launch their first public worship service. Now, the place for that is yet to be announced, but uh, the guys are feverishly working on this, especially Matt and Keith. And by the way, with regard to Living Hope Bible Church, if any of you live down in the Mansfield area and have not visited Living Hope Bible Church, you should. 
It's an excellent, excellent church. And there is lots to do down there. Praise God for them. They started with 48 people. They're about 75 people now. They're working on multiplying elders so that they can have more. And they are ahead of Christ Fellowship Bible Church by almost five years. Beloved, <clears throat> June 21st, put on your seatbelt, is only 23 weeks away. It's coming like a freight train. And that means in 23 weeks, 80 plus men, women, and children are going to disappear. And we will arrive in church that next week and it will feel like the rapture has taken place and <laughs> we have all been left behind. <laughs> and you know what? That's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for them to plant the church. It's going to be hard for us to stay behind. But listen to me. Why do we do this? Because we don't live for comfort. We understand why we exist. You want to know why we exist? We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things, to the glory of God, in the joy of all peoples. It's why we send 80 people away from our little church of under 400. It's going to hurt. But it is safe. And it is joyful. And we're going to try to do all kinds of things to bring us back together for fellowship and reunion. We have done this before. We are doing it now. And we will, by God's grace, do it again. And keep doing it. You say, well, where's the money coming from? God. <laughs> and Joe Oliver, when he was uh, an elder, and Frank can attest to this, and you other guys, Mike, and he used to, uh, when we got into that dilemma, where's the money coming from? And Joe would always say, he reminded me again this week, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Who said that, Joe? Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. And he proved it true, and God has proven it true again and again and again, Calvary Bible Church. And we don't know how we're, we we're going to afford it. God does. And you know what? This is a fallible, dependent plan. Not everything we plan works out. But God wants us to have a plan. And this is, this is really the cornerstone of the whole plan. Uh, we could land the plane right here and it would be enough. But I want to tell you a few more things. Secondly, since we have a long-term vision for planting churches, we desperately need a means of training men to discover and live up to God's call on their lives. We resist the urge to call this leadership training. That's, that's not really what this is about, although leaders will be trained and we hope that some of them, a few of them, will become elders one day. But this is for all of the men of Calvary Bible Church who are willing to make the investment. We need men who have a deep, rich knowledge of the Word of God, men who can effectively share the gospel with the lost, men who can lead their families and small groups and teach others how to lead their small groups and lead their families, men who can teach and some who can preach. And so we're proposing for September to launch a very 
robust strategy for training men. Training men to be what God is calling them to be. It'll be, are you ready for this? It'll be a three-year program of education, and it will require three hours of class time every week. And we are proposing that we do it on Sunday nights. Now that we have the facilities uh, that will enable us to do it, even while uh, college and career student ministries in Awana is going on. And that means childcare is provided. Um, every Sunday evening, this will be significant, it will be challenging, and it will be doable. Uh, it will not be a talking head. This will not be a lecture format. And I don't have time to explain what else do you do besides lecture. Uh, there'll be much instruction, and you're just going to have to come and find out. Uh, let me just tell you, this is going to be hard. But many of you men should do it. I can't possibly unpack all the details of this. If I gave Jason the time, he couldn't unpack all the details of this. Uh, we are, however, hijacking a ministry name that we once used before, and that is um, Equipping for Ministry, E4M. We're just taking the whole thing and pasting it on all of our documents. E4M, Equipping for Ministry. So this is the Equipping for Ministry Institute. And as we're doing this, we trust that the Lord will, e will equip some men, a few men, that he will raise up to be leaders and even elders. But we can't afford to wait until then. Uh, two more of our elders are leaving, and they're going on the church plant, which is going to bring us down to four, which in my estimation is too few. And some of you have asked about this because you understand how church is supposed to run. And you have asked, what do we do when, when you're down to four elders? And we're on it. By God's grace, he will provide. And we are already pursuing some men to think about uh, going through a, an abbreviated training uh, to become elders of Calvary Bible Church. And, uh, and that's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. And you guys already know these men, and some of those men don't even know who they are yet, <laughs> but they soon will. <laughs> and we're not only losing uh, two elders, we are losing a staff pastor, our associate pastor, and you know him as Keith, <laughs> Keith. And, um, and Keith and Katie, we love you guys, just Man, it just breaks my heart that we're going to lose you guys. And all of us. But that's what heaven's for, right? Right now, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, however God calls us to do that. So, we need a replacement for Keith. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you, after eight months of searching and finally narrowing it down, we have our new associate pastor, and he's sitting right over here. <laughs> Why don't you guys stand up? Um, you don't know how blessed you are as a church yet by this couple, but you soon will. It's an amazing providence of God, about three and a half years. You guys can sit down now. You're going to feel uncomfortable standing there. <clears throat> about three and a half years ago, they were in town for something. Tommy and Gigi were good friends of theirs, and said, hey, well, why don't you stay with us and why don't you come to church? And, uh, and they pulled me aside afterward and they said, 
wow, we, we love what we see here. Can we meet with you and ask questions? So we went down to Fellowship Hall, and they sat on the floor, and they just started hitting me with questions. What about this? And what, how do you explain this? How do you, we, they told us yesterday that on that Sunday, when they were getting ready to walk down to Fellowship Hall, they got stopped twice, and people prayed with them. Twice, from here to there. How does that happen? You know, one of the questions. And uh, when we were finished, uh, they just kind of looked at me and said, oh, man, if the Lord, when we get done seminary, if the Lord would, uh, would enable us to minister in a church like this, that would be wonderful. And I didn't tell them this, but when they left, I thought, man, one of these days we're going to need a new associate. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot all about it. We didn't pursue them. It came time to start looking, and we just posted on a couple of seminary boards that we needed a new associate pastor. And about 10 or 12 uh, resumes in, this one showed up, and Randy Barlow. And uh, so Randy Barlow is going to be our new associate pastor, and Savannah, let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, Randy is from Blooming Grove, the metropolis Brooming, <laughs> Blooming Grove, Texas, population 860 people. <laughs> Savannah, you know she's not from the north by a name like that. <laughs> Savannah is from Poplarville, Mississippi, South Mississippi. And the two of them met in college, Christian College in Arkansas. Randy is currently working on the completion, not of his MDiv, that's done. He's working on the completion of his THM at the Master's Seminary. Before they met Savannah, I'm sorry, before they got married, uh, Savannah spent two years in China and speaks Mandarin with probably a Mississippi accent. <laughs> so if any of you speak Mandarin, uh, you'll enjoy conversing with them. They have two children, Ruby, a little girl, 11 months old, and Abram, three and a half. Uh, I have not yet met them and look forward to it. Uh, things are going to move pretty quickly here. Uh, they will probably be moved here by the end of February. Um, I have spoken to all of his references, had a wonderful time with his pastor and a couple of his elders. And a uh, very similar kind of thing happened when we were checking on references for Keith. Men were saying, if we could hire him, we would. And uh, one man said, you don't know what a gift you're about to get from us. And I believe it. Um, so we praise God for his provision. I'm just amazed how God blesses this little church with uh, quality people. Um, when we set out to find Keith's replacement, we knew it would be difficult. And no one can really replace them. But in God's providence, I've been privileged to get to know them. And what I've learned is that these two are a very humble, Christ-exalting, and very competent people who love Calvary Bible Church and who love Jesus. And they're just chomping at the bit to get here and be a part of this family. So we're hoping the Lord will allow them to get here by the end of February. Um, uh, oh, there's more, and we're out of time. Uh, we're going to Ukraine next year. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <clears throat> I 
And we got missionaries who were coming next week who were probably going to say, would you come to Japan? And the answer is yes, it'll just be timing. Um, I'm concerned about how many counselees we turn away. There's a six-month waiting list. Got to figure out how we get more women especially, men too, but we have an abundance right now of, of men counseling. We need women counselors. And so hopefully in September our plan is uh, we're going to start, because we're a training center, we can do everything for certification right here. You don't have to go to a conference. We are going to have the conference this year here for people in the community. Um, but for you, it won't cost any money. It's just a lot of hard work, and we can do it all right here, and it will count. And so we want to do that during Sunday school at first, so that you have childcare, ladies, so you can just come, and we'll just do it one hour at a time, one hour at a time. And then after we get the men's ministry uh, going, uh, there's going to be a ladies' track part of that. And the second year of that, right, Jason? The second year is going to focus on that same thing, on, uh, on becoming certified in biblical counseling. Because we desperately need people, women especially, who know the Word of God, who are living the Word of God, and who can put it to work in the lives of other people. Well, I need to leave it there because the most important thing is next, and that is the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for next week and the week after and this next year. We make our plans, but you direct our steps. We know that. And so lead us, Father, like a good shepherd that you are. You always lead us down the right path. You never lead us in the wrong path. It's always the paths of righteousness. So give us grace to follow you in the big things, in the outward things that people can see, and in the inward things that no one sees. All of it to the praise of your great glory in our imperfect and needy lives. And we praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.